Today's, today's reading is from Titus 1, 1 to 6. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the faith of God's elect and the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness, a faith and knowledge resting on the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time. And at his appointed season, he brought his word to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of our God, our Saviour. To Titus, my true son, in our common faith, grace and peace from God, the Father and Christ Jesus, our Saviour. The reason I left you in Crete was that you might straighten out what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. An elder must be blameless, the husband of but one wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Since an overseer is entrusted with God's work, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. For there are many rebellious people, mere talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision group. They must be silenced because they were ruining whole households by teaching things they ought not to teach and that for the sake of dishonest gain. Even one of their own prophets has said, Cretans are always liars evil brutes, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply so that they will be sound in the faith and will pay no attention to Jewish myths or to the commands of those who reject the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds and consciences are corrupted. They claim to know God, but by their actions they deny him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. This is the word of the Lord. Please have a seat. And let's pray. Now, Heavenly Father, please would you be with us as we start this series in the book of Titus. Be with us as we think about uh, leadership in, in the church and help each of us uh, to see the role that you have given us in that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, if you were watching uh, the Rugby League on Friday night, then you would have seen a fairly gruesome sight. Uh, Interesting. Alarm going off. I'm going to power through. There we go. Uh, As I said, if you're watching the Rugby League on Friday night, you would have have seen a fairly gruesome sight. Uh, One of the players managed to get his leg caught in a, a slightly awkward position and he ended up and he ended up uh, dislocating his knee now now fortunately for him it, it popped back into place almost straight away but people aren't always that fortunate are they uh, I'm just wondering have, have many people here ever uh, dislocated their limbs before maybe just raise your hand if you have there are there are a few who've, who've put their hands up uh, our health and safety officer will, will be nervous uh, the, the problem with, with some dislocations is that they remain out of place. Uh, limbs pointing in directions that you never thought possible. 
and it takes away your functionality and the limb needs to be straightened out. And it needs to be done in the right way or it can end up being even more damaged. And so people will often go and see a doctor or a, a nurse to get it straightened out. Uh, in a similar way to dealing with dislocated limbs that, that need straightening out, Paul wrote this letter to Titus because the church in Crete needed straightening out. You see it there in, in verse 5. It's a church with a number of problems. Uh, verse 10, there are many rebellious people within the church, deceptive people. Or, or verse 11, people who are ruining entire households through the lies that they teach. Verse 15, their minds and their consciences are corrupted. Uh, and perhaps worst of all, verse 16, they claim to know God, but by their actions they deny him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. Things in the church, things in, the church in Crete are, are out of order. There is, there is dislocation. And Paul wants Titus to straighten things out so that the church might actually function as it should. And there's one main thing that will allow this to happen. Uh, he tells Titus to appoint leaders in the church. He uses the words elders and, and overseers, but it points to the same thing. Titus is, a, is to appoint mature Christians as leaders. And as we'll see, there are three things that are required of a potential leader. If someone holds to these, these three things, that then what was once dislocated will soon begin to get set straight uh, by God's grace. And what we see in this passage still speaks volumes to the church today. <clears throat> Raising up the type of leaders that Paul speaks of in these verses must still be a priority for us as a church. Now whether that's people to lead churches or people to lead various ministries, many of the principles still apply. Uh, there was a helpful challenge for us as a church last week, to, to think through where our church will be in the future, our children's generation or that of our children's children, and are we preparing for the future now? Uh, Titus 1 offers us a way to prepare for the future, knowing that we will face various challenges on the way, much like the church in Crete did. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, a bit of a background to the, the letter. Uh, Crete is a, a Greek island. Uh, we don't know too much about it. Uh, the closest we get is in Acts chapter 2, where there are some Cretans who are mentioned. Uh, now, when, when Paul is writing, the church seems to have been established, but it's a church that has already found time to move away from the message of the gospel, which they first heard. And, and Paul writes in the hope of, of bringing about change. Uh, so why don't we take a, a closer look at the letter? And it begins like, like most of Paul's letters. He, he introduces himself, and these four, first four verses are, are jam-packed. He never misses an opportunity to teach. Uh, he starts by giving his credentials, and we see that his ministry is one that he has been entrusted uh, with by God. He mentions God our Saviour and, and Jesus our Saviour in verses 3 and 4. Uh, the Christian message is that God has saved us through his Son and has given us this hope of eternal life. And it's this message that, that Paul has been entrusted with. He proclaims it so that people would come to faith and that they would live now with a view for eternity. Now, normally in, in Paul's letters, after his introduction, he spends some time giving thanks for the church. But in this letter, he, he gets straight to the point. Uh, and as we'll see, there isn't much happening in the church to give thanks for. 
He tells Titus to appoint leaders, and uh, as I mentioned, there are, there are three things required of a leader. Now, firstly, a church leader needs to be blameless in their family life. That's what verse 6 is getting at. If they are married, then they are to be faithful to their wife. And we know from Paul's own ministry that you didn't need to be married to be a Christian leader. But for some reason, this is his instruction for the church in Crete. Now, one difficulty this, this verse raises is, is where it says, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Uh, an unbelieving child weigh, weighs heavily on, on the heart of any parent, uh, but, it does, but, but does it disqualify someone from church leadership? I should say people do arrive at, at different conclusions uh, on this. And I think one of the challenges of this verse is, is understanding what, what Paul meant by believe. Because that word can, can also mean faithful, it can also mean reliable. So that, that verse may or may not be talking about a, a, children's, a child's faith. And so it raises questions, what, what did Paul really mean? If God is the one who, who brings a person to faith, should a child's belief... Or, or unbelief, be the basis for suitability for church leadership. Uh, I think some of the descriptions that follow help us. Uh, the children shouldn't be open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Uh, and the reason I think that helps us, whether Paul meant believing or faithful or, or reliable, is that it implies that there is order in the home, uh, which I think is, is his concern here. Uh, I was speaking to a minister some years ago about his experiences in ministry and uh, one of the things he said that he made a point of when, when he was applying for a, a position in a church or, or he was hiring someone was to try and get an idea of what home life was like uh, for anyone he was going to be working with. He, w- he would intentionally try and meet uh, this, this person in their home. Uh, he had an experience where, where an old boss's uh, home life was completely chaotic uh, and not just Uh, chaotic in the sense of everyday challenges and and, and the chaos that children will bring. Chaotic to the point it showed an inability to lead at home, uh, which was later shown in a a short-lived ministry. See, I think Paul is saying if if anyone has aspirations to lead God's people, be sure they are leading their family first, that they're uh, they're leading their family well. Uh, if there is disorder and dislocation in family life, if there's an inability to lead at home, then a person shouldn't be considered for, for leadership in the church at that time. Let them get that sorted first. So, so that's his first requirement. Uh, the second thing that's required of a church leader is that they must be blameless in their own behaviours. He lists five things a leader mustn't do and, and six things that they should do. And looking at the, the first part of this list, you might think, well, this is pretty obvious. Don't be overbearing or, or quick-tempered or, or drunk or violent. Don't pursue dishonest gain. I mean, isn't, isn't that a given? But the fact that Paul needs to, to mention these things says something about the state of the church in Crete and, and the individuals there. These things may seem obvious to us, but I, but I think we still need to hear this today. Because like many things where, where people are involved... Uh, church life can have its complications. On certain things, we'll have different views, disagreements, uh, different convictions over things where God has given us freedom. We have different backgrounds and and expectations. Uh, All to say, there are some aspects of of church life that will be difficult. And it's very easy to become arrogant in ministry, uh, to think your way is the only way, or to become 
impatient with others and, and snap at them, or to do things for the wrong reasons, for personal gain. <coughs> Leaders in the church are, are far from perfect, but we must demonstrate self-control in these different areas as, as God's Spirit works in us. These things must be avoided by, by all Christians and especially leaders. Now in verse 8, he, he puts things in a more positive light. Leaders in the church should be hospitable, love what is good, and be self-controlled, upright, holy, and, and disciplined. Uh, and I must say, I, I find these verses incredibly challenging because it's a, it's a very high bar that Paul sets. Uh, the Commonwealth Games are, are on at the moment, and, and there's been some uproar here in New Zealand over the requirements to qualify for the Games. Uh, there was a, a sprinter who, who recently ran uh, a fairly fast 100-metre race, but it wasn't a quick enough time to qualify for the Games. Now, as it turns out, if he had been selected uh, and, and run that same time at the Commonwealth Games, he would have won the silver medal. And, and rightly, people believe that the bar was, was set too high. Now, you might look at the requirements on this list and, and think a similar thing. Because it is a high bar, it's a challenging list. But there's a difference here, because leaders are responsible for, for God's people under their care. A high bar for an important responsibility. So we've seen the need uh, to be blameless in, in family life and in your personal life. And, and there's one thing I want to point out about those, those two things. Uh, you'll notice that, that mo- almost all of those requirements are, are not things that are based on gifts or abilities, they're traits that you could see in almost anyone. They are, they are based on character. See, we struggle to know how to encourage and, and value people of character in our society. I think, I think char- character is something that we, we don't appreciate enough as Christians. Uh, it's much easier to, to praise people with different gifts and, and abilities who, who achieve various things or who do things that we deem uh, praiseworthy. Character is something... Society struggles to value and maybe something the church is increasingly struggling to value. It's a thing that goes unnoticed all too often. Character is, is important for all Christians and it's particularly important for those who are in positions of leadership. Whether that's ordained leadership or, or lay leadership. Uh, and I think, I think it's great that as a, desire, uh, as a diocese and as a church we, we do try and emphasise uh, the need for character. Uh, one of the things I, I remember when I was going through the discernment process for, for ordination in our diocese is that there's a big focus on your personal life. Uh, in my mind, there might have been less weight given to that and, and more weight given to having the right theology or, or being able to teach God's word. And, and theology and, and teaching aren't neglected, but rightly, character is also viewed as, as important in ministry because character is a reflection of the work of the gospel in our lives. Character is a, a reflection of the work of the gospel in our lives. So it's right to, to weigh up whether people should be in leadership in the church based on character. Uh, so that's, that's the first two requirements. The third and final requirement for a leader is that they must be devoted to the message of the gospel. There's a difference to this, uh, this one because there's an element of, of teaching involved. Uh, a leader over God's people needs to hold firmly to the trustworthy message of the gospel that they have been taught. Uh, verse 9 is basically saying, no sound doctrine, encourage others with it, and refute those who oppose it. But, but what is sound doctrine? 
Uh, it's something alluded to throughout this letter, uh, and basically it refers to the truths that God has revealed to us. Truths about himself, uh, about us, and about the world we live in. Uh, one person describes, uh, describes it like this. Sound doctrine is a summary of the, the Bible's teaching, that is, both faithful, faithful to the Bible and useful for life, uh, which is a helpful definition because when many of us hear the word doctrine, it, it puts us to sleep. Uh, we think it's a waste of time, maybe unnecessary, uh, perhaps a little bit dull. But as that, as that quote reminds us, it is useful for life. And the Christian leader needs to be able to encourage God's people with sound doctrine. Uh, and this is what the church in, in Crete had been missing. Leaders who, who hold firmly to the truths of the gospel that will help God's people in life. Now, if you think for a minute about all the leaders of Israel in, in the Old Testament, uh, we see so many examples of them failing to hold on to God's word. And, and we see disorder and dislocation as a result. The solution for the Cretans is godly leaders who hold firm to the gospel. But not just, not just for a season or, or for a short period of time. Uh, there's a Christian song called, He Will Hold Me Fast. Does anyone here know that song? A couple of, couple of nods. Uh, it's a song written in the 1800s. Uh, there's a modern version as well. I, I don't think we've sung it here, but might have to pitch it to the music team at some stage. Uh, I find the truths in the song incredibly comforting. Uh, it's a song that reminds us about the way that Christ holds on to his people in this life. And when we think of holding firmly to something, we need look no further than the example of our Saviour, because he holds on to us forever. There, there's a, con, uh, a consistency there, a continuity. He never turns away from us. To hold fast to something is, is to not be moved from it, despite the best of attempts from others. Uh, and we see it so clearly in Jesus' mission to come and redeem us as his people. He wasn't swayed by anyone or anything. Uh, and I think that's a beautiful picture of what any leader in the church should be like with the message of the gospel, holding firmly to it, regardless of what comes their way. It's the basis of, of how we encourage our, uh, one another. But there's another more, more pressing reason to hold to sound doctrine, and that is to refute those who oppose it. There is no bigger problem in the Cretan church than the false teachers. Uh, there are a number of people who have let go of sound doctrine, uh, and we saw it in, in verses 10 to 16. People of the, the circumcision group, uh, whatever that meant, uh, people obsessed with Jewish myths, uh, people who have turned away from the truth and replaced it with a lie. And, and Paul doesn't mince his words here, does he? Even one of their own prophets has said, Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. And his message to Titus is this. Verse 13, rebuke them sharply. And you see, the goal isn't to embarrass them or to prove that they're wrong. The goal is so that they will be sound in the faith. Rebuke them sharply, that they might return to the truth of the gospel. Another strong phrase that Paul uses in this chapter is there in verse 11. They must be silenced. They must be silenced. It's very confronting language, isn't it? So I think Titus chapter 1 is a, a great challenge for us this morning because it, it cuts against the grain of our culture. Uh, we're often very happy to say each to their own when it comes to the beliefs that we hold. And we like to be quite an inclusive bunch in a lot of ways, uh, which is good in, in many ways. 
Uh, and we're not confrontational for the most part, even when we do come across people teaching things that they ought not to teach. But we see here there is a time when a firmer approach is required. When the damage done by teachers who have moved away from sound doctrine, from the truths of the Bible, far outweighs the cost of, of speaking up against someone who has rejected the true gospel. There's a time when action is required. Now, a couple of, of questions for us. How are we going at, at raising up leaders in the church, uh, people of, of godly character? Is it something that we, we pray for and encourage in others? People who, who see the importance of not moving away from the gospel and who refute those who do? Have we become lazy when it comes to pursuing sound doctrine? Uh, these, are, these are questions that are, that are work, uh, worth taking the time to think about and, and answer for ourselves. Uh, a difficulty for, for many here today is, is that this seems to be addressing leadership in the church, and, and many people won't have any desire to be in leadership whatsoever. Uh, and that's fine. But, but this passage uh, shows how, how easily a church can abandon the truths of the faith. We have a collective responsibility to help each other hold to the gospel, to encourage one another to grow in these truths. Uh, we heard in the interviews earlier of some ways we can do that, by, by meeting with each other, by encouraging godly character in one another, uh, in our family life, in our personal lives, and even by, by growing in our understanding of and ability to teach the gospel to others. Because it's the truths of the gospel that, that bring lasting change. Uh, I'm having a little bit of a, a shocker this morning. I've already used two sporting examples, and I'm about to use a third, the hat trick, so I do apologise in advance. Uh, someone in our church sent me a link to an interview this week with a, a guy named Heath Davis. Uh, you might have seen this interview in the news. Heath Davis was a, a cricketer who played for New Zealand in the 1990s, and while he was playing, there were often rumours that circulated that he was same-sex attracted. And this week there were headlines after an interview he did where, where he admitted that it was true. Uh, and the headlines read something like this. Heath Davis becomes New Zealand's first cricketer to publicly acknowledge that he's gay. And in the interview he, he acknowledges much of his past and 95% of the interview is very sad. Uh, this is a, a broken, confused man who, who looked for answers in all of the wrong places. As I said, it is sad, and in some ways it's, it's very predictable. Uh, so predictable that, that I actually stopped watching halfway through. But the person who told me about the interview in, insisted that I, I watch to the end. Uh, because at the end, after he's, he's shared the battles he's gone through in life and some terrible decisions that he's made, uh, and he shares about his, his search for love, at, at the end of the interview he's asked if he ever found love. And he says in the interview... He wants this bit to be included. He says, I'm seeking Christ now. That might sound really weird to you. I'm living single, uh, part of a group of other men uh, as a Christian group. Uh, I would like a partner, but I realise it's not bib biblical to have a partner of the same sex. And there's all the dealing with that, and I can't do it, not in my own strength anyway. See, this is a man who has been changed by the message of the gospel. Because our God is a God who's an expert in changing lives through Jesus. The church in Crete needed the truth of the gospel uh, in order to change. And so do we uh, as the church today. 
Now, I pray that we'd be individuals and leaders and a church that, that holds firm uh, to the gospel of the Lord Jesus. Amen.